Well, I hope you are surviving the summer. I am uh, just making my way through it. I've been a bachelor father this week. Uh, my wife went up to Canada to be with her sister, and so uh, absence does make your heart grow fonder, and also you realize that your wife covers a multitude of sins. And so, uh, as I'm a single dad for a few more days, I'm grateful for my wife, and will be grateful when she returns. But as Paul said earlier, there's a lot of exciting things going on here at Berean, and uh, it's it's just fantastic, especially in relation to missions, whether we're going across the street or across the world. Uh, next week, Prem Gideon will be here with us. We have a long-term partnership with her, and you'll hear about how God is using her ministry, the Anurag ministry, which means divine love. That's what Anurag means and how that is reaching kids in New Delhi for Christ. So I encourage you to be here. Um, also, in a couple of weeks, we're also commissioning our sister Emily Sorensen and sending her o- overseas. And so we'll miss you. Um, it's going to be a great, it's going to be a great Sunday. It's bittersweet Sunday. Uh, and we'll also introduce you to a new young lady named Casey Bumgardner, who is also going to be going over to the Middle East and be studying Arabic. And we have the chance to get behind her. And uh, as well as one of our older missionaries, as far as someone who's been faithful to the Lord for years, Jenny Mullen. So I want you to encourage you to be here for that. And then the following week, we'll be going, uh, we'll be having a baptism. And again, we're a church that wants to be about fulfilling the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey that all that Jesus commanded. And so, um, you know, as I'm preparing, we're stepping away from 1 Corinthians for the summer. We'll get back there this fall. But, you know, I'm asking, Lord, 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 what do you want me to be preaching? And it's like, hello, Nathan. And it's a little, you know, encouragement from the, from the missions committee. It's like, you should be preaching about missions for this week because that's what's happening. It's like, oh, okay, Lord, what, what do you want me to talk about? Because you know, sometimes the word missions seems so kind of task-oriented, or even military-like, but it really isn't. Missions is very relational. It's one person who's been redeemed by the living God telling others about how they can be redeemed as well. How they can come into relationship with the living God, how they can be a son or daughter of the living God. The God of this universe has made us for relationship with Him. And if you know the biblical story, all men and women are made in His image, designed to have a relationship with Him. But we decided to do our own thing. We decided to rebel against Him. We are spiritually separated and blinded because of that. And there's no way for us to restore that with our own resources. We cannot do it. It will take God himself to restore that relationship. But that's who he is. A God who pursues us. You see, our God is in fact a missionary God himself. He wants to pursue us. And this series in July is going to be about that. But we're going to look today at a passage which I'm calling the seed of the gospel. See, missions didn't just start after Jesus came. It started, I believe, with the call of this man. 
And uh, he's a man we call the father of faith. It's someone we call Abraham. His original name was Abram. So we'll be looking at him. And we're going to see the promise given to him. And we'll see within that promise there is a seed of missions. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Genesis chapter 12. This is a classic passage. It's a huge moment in salvation history. So let's read together how God addresses Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he went out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan when they arrived arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Tell you what, let me pray for us, and we'll go ahead and get into this passage today. Lord God, I'm so grateful that you are a God who took the initiative. We are men and women who are incapable in ourselves to bridge the gap between us as simple human beings and you as a holy God. But you have reached down to us. So give us eyes to see today. Give us eyes to see the seed of the gospel, the seed of missions. How you want to bless all nations in this seed. It's in Jesus' name I pray. So, this passage comes within a historical context. This is chapter 12. What happened in chapter 11? Chapter 11, before that was chapter 10, which was Noah's flood. God had decided that he needed to start over because men's hearts were wicked. He wiped them out, just left Noah and his family. But the sinful nature was not wiped out. Didn't wipe out our sinful tendencies to do our thing, do things our own way. And just a few generations later, we're back here in chapter 11. And what's the first thing that people do is they're populating the earth. They decide, you know what? We need to reach up to God. We need to do something to make a name for ourselves. So they go out to Shinar, the plain of Shinar, which is in modern day Babylon, and they start to build this tower, the Tower of Babel. They want to build, if you will, a stairway to heaven to get to God on their terms. And God comes down and sees that actually their efforts might get them there, and so he thwarts them. 
in order that they might not be forever ruined. He goes down and changes their language and confuses them. And it happens today even. It's called marriage. I thought you said that you... What? Just kidding. But he scatters them across the earth. And at this point in history, there's kind of a, a general knowledge about God, but it's getting very fuzzy. Again, men are seeking to worship God in their own ways. Idolatry is setting in. We don't know what Abram knows about God, but now God is revealing himself to Abram. And eventually he's going to reveal more and more of his character about who he is as Abram walks with him. He's going to reveal, actually through Abram and his seed or his offspring, who God really is. But there's also a family context. Because the second half of this chapter, chapter 11, is talking about the descendants of Shem, or the Semites. And it goes about eight generations, and we get to this man named Terah. Terah has three sons. Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And they live in a place called the Ur of Chaldees. So this is, uh, again, modern day um, Iraq. This is the Euphrates River, the Tigris River. You can see the Gulf of the Persian Gulf down here. And they're hanging out here. It's a place that's pretty fertile. A pretty, a place that's a lot of trade going on. A lot of, you know, if you're looking for an economic booming area, that's where you want to be. But it's also a place where there's a lot of idolatry going on. And something happens to the youngest son, Haran, there. We don't know, but he dies. And all of a sudden, Terah uproots his family, and they course along the Euphrates again, and they make their way up to Haran up here. Now, in our English Bibles, it's kind of weird. It's like, what? why is the son name the same as the town? They're not exactly the same. In the Hebrew, and I just want you to know this because it sounds so, you know, it sounds so Terah moved there and named the place after his son, just so you understand. Haran was, would be how we'd pronounce the son's name. Probably closer to the name of the town would be Haran. It's got that hard guttural H. So just, just a little trivia there, just so you know. Um, but they leave, and it's not really clear why they leave. The truth is, the original plan was to go all the way down to uh, Canaan. Again, as you can see this red arrow, they're supposed to go down here. But they don't. They stop here, in Haran. We're really not sure why. But God is not done. And God takes Abraham from this place. And so... Here's the first thing I want to point out, that there's a proposition of the promise. Verse 1 again. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and I will show you. Here's my point. It's very minor, but I want you to know this. It's God that calls Abraham to do this. It's not his own idea, it's not his own ambition, it's not his discontentment. I'm sure things are going pretty well in Haran. He, they're all together as a family. It's not some romantic stories of some traveling caravan says, hey, come and join us. 
He's not looking to leave his father's household, but God himself is the one who's calling him. I need you to leave. And God himself making himself responsible for the results of his leaving. And he will get to know God along the way. Here's, here's why this is important, okay? Because anyone who leaves somewhere to go tell people about the living God needs to know that God has called them personally. I know we have commands to go make disciples of all nations. And if God is speaking to you through that scripture, great. Indeed, we're supposed to be salt and light in this world. Take this gospel to this world. Again, that is as much across the street as it is across this world. But not all are called to go overseas, go to a new country, go to a new state, a new city, a new community. That's been my experience. I don't live in the state I was born in. God has called me to sojourn here, but not everybody is called. And you need to have a sense of call. Here's why. Because every time you go into a place and serve, you're going to hit a wall. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be opposition. Oftentimes, it's the enemy. It's trying, he's trying to make things difficult for you. And God uses that to grow your faith. But you have to know that God has called you. Otherwise, you just want to pack up and go home. You have to know it's not your idea. You have to know that God himself has called you. And that he will accomplish his purposes. Because sometimes you don't see the immediate result. The immediate fruit. And going on to this, there is a price for the promise. Again, go, he says, from your country, from your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. Abraham, leave what you're comfortable with. Leave what you're familiar with. Emily, leave what you're familiar with. There won't be a target there. You won't be able to go to Walgreens at 12 midnight. You won't be able to go over to a friend's house. Say, hey, can you help me out? Well, maybe you will eventually. But it's, you're leaving what's familiar to you. And some, I mean, again, there's a family context here. We've got one son's dead. Now the other son's leaving. What? That must have been difficult. Abraham needed to know that God was calling him. But there is a cost sometimes of following God's promise, God's call. On the other hand, Jesus would say, as, as Paul said, I mean, the Apostle Peter says to Jesus, hey, we've left everything. Jesus would tell you, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children, or fields for me, and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, listen to this, and with them persecutions, in this age, and in the age to come, eternal life. There is reward. And the safest place for you to ever be is following the Lord and following His will. And parents, let me say this to you. And I, I say this as, as a parent and knowing the cost. The Lord may reach down and call your child to serve Him here in this community or someplace else. 
And if God is calling them to go someplace else, will you release them? Or will you try and hold on to them? Say, no, I want to be around my grandchildren. I want you to be able to come over for Sunday dinners. Holding on to the familiar and earthly pleasures rather than valuing the kingdom. People, we have to value the kingdom even above even our own familiar relationships. So if God is calling, I pray that God gives you the grace to release that son, that daughter, to serve the living God. Well, I want to continue on because God puts himself, as I said, basically makes himself responsible that he's going to accomplish what he's calling Abraham to do. And so these are the particulars of the promise. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. That's a pretty heady thought, being the father of an entire nation. Actually, he makes him a promise that he'll be a father of many nations. He changes his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many. He says, I will bless you. Who does not want to be blessed by God? I will make your name great. And God does make his name great. But it's God who does it, rather than Abraham seeking to make his own name great, as we saw back in chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. And you will be a blessing that is benefiting others. You have something to add to their lives. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those. Whoever curses you, I will curse. God's going to provide providence and protection among other people groups. And all people, that is all families, on earth we blessed through you. And then in verse 7, there's a promise of land. And your offspring, literally your seed, to your seed, I will give this land. The fact is, as Abraham sojourns, more specifics to this promise will be added. But the last clause of chapter of verse 3, that is what I see as the seed of missions. That, and all peoples, that is all families on earth, will be blessed through you. Here's my question. What is it that God wants to do through Abraham, through his seed, to impart blessing to all families, all nations, not just his own? And we're going to get there. But the interesting thing is, Abraham does it. He says, okay. He goes sight unseen from Haran and makes his way toward Canaan. He didn't get online and look under, you know, landofcanaan.com. No. He goes. He doesn't know what he's walking into. He just knows is go to the land that I will show you. He is trusting God. And here's why I'm making such a big deal about this. Because later on in chapter 15, when God revisits him, verse 6, it says, Abram believed the Lord and he was credited, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is going to be the hallmark of Abraham's sojourn. He's going to make some bad mistakes along the way. But every time he is trusting the Lord to do it. And we're going to see he runs into some obstacles. But this is part of the blessing that we'll see that he makes to all nations. But it's pretty, it's pretty important. Because when he gets there, there's not a whole lot of instant gratification. It doesn't just turn around and he has everything that is promised. And it this is what I call the playing out of the promise. And this is Genesis chapter 13 through 22. And I'm just going to hit the highlights. 
But there's some things that are, some challenges that are in the way. And as I said, you know, Abraham kind of stumbles through some of these. But the first thing is, there's a problem of timing. We get to chapter 15. It's been 10 years now since Abraham's been sojourning in the land. And God comes and says, Abraham, look up in the sky. Look up there. Man, if you can count the stars, that's how your descendants are going to be. And, um, God, here's a problem. You haven't given me an earthly descendant for my body. And the heir to my, my household is my servant, Eleazar from Damascus. What are you going to do? And God says, I'm going to provide through your own body. In fact, and he makes a promise to the land, God makes a covenant with Abraham. And God himself is what I'd say condescends to Abraham. He has Abraham cut these animals in two. This is how you bind a contract or make a covenant. You cut these animals in two, and then the two parties would walk between the parts of the animals, and basically saying, if I don't fulfill my end of the covenant, this is what should happen to me. But you know what? Abraham cuts the things in two, but God himself walks through these things in the, in the form of a glowing um, fire pot. Abraham doesn't. God doesn't. He says, I'm holding myself responsible. I'm swearing by my own name, if you will. So we got the first problem of just timing. Okay, this, this isn't happening as quickly as we thought it would happen. The second issue is just fertility. We find out that his wife Sarai is barren. She can't have kids. But now we have the promise. I mean, you know, God has said it. And so then we get into chapter 16, and we get into the problem of trying to help God out. Of trying to help God out. See, Sarai says, you know, I, I can't have, I've had luck in having children. But you know what? I've got this servant Hagar we got down in Egypt. So I'll tell you what. Abram, you sleep with her and get her pregnant and I'll be the surrogate mother of her child. God helps those who help themselves, right? That's Ben Franklin, not the Bible. Just, just for your information. So it happens. Abraham says, go sleep with my maidservant. Abraham says, okay. And, you know, as soon as she's pregnant, her name is Hagar again, she starts looking with contempt at her mistress, at Sarai. So there's a problem there. And now Sarai is angry, and so she starts abusing Hagar. There's a problem there. This is a Dr. Phil moment. It's kind of like, so how's that working out, Right. Folks, by the way, there is no good illustration of polygamy in the Old Testament. God permits it, but it never works out well. So I don't recommend it if you're thinking about that. But here's my point, is that they're trying to help God out. And it just brings future tension. So we fast forward into Genesis chapter 17 and 18. Now Abraham is 99 years old. Remember, he starts out coming into the land at 75. This is 24 years later. 24 years later, we have the problem of old age. And God says, guess what, Abraham? He's changed his name by now. Next year, you at 90, you'll be 100, and your wife will be 90. You're going to have a child through Sarah. <laughs> and you know what Abraham's response is? <laughs> he laughs. 
He laughs. He goes, I can't believe it after all this time. And they name this child Laughter, Isaac. God has different timing, different ways, right? But here's the problem of a rival son because remember Hagar had a son. His name is Ishmael. God says, you know what? I'm giving the covenant, the promise to Isaac. I'll bless Ishmael, but I'm giving that to Isaac. And Abraham eventually has to send away Ishmael and Hagar. That must have been very difficult. And then when Isaac grows up, and he's a, a young, you know, middle schooler, God says, okay, Abram, take the son that you love, your only son, take him to the place I'm going to show you, and then sacrifice him to This is the problem of setting our heart on the promise rather than the promiser. God knows what's going to happen. And Scripture says it's a test. God provides a substitute, a lamb. And by the way, if you know what that hill was, it's a hill we later on called Golgotha. You see, ultimately, we don't sacrifice our sons. God sacrificed His Son for us. But everywhere along the way, God trusted I mean, Abraham trusted God in every challenge. Even in this one, he was about ready to do it. Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. And here's something we need to learn also. If you're called by God, oftentimes his timing is not our timing. That's, that's a lesson you're going to learn over and over and over and over. But his timing is never early, it's never late, it's right on time. And it's always the best. But when Abraham dies at a ripe old age, I think of 155, or I think it's 175, when he dies, the, the stage is set for these promises to come true through his descendants. I'm just going to give... A quick biblical overview. We're going to go, we're going to do about 2,000 years worth of history in about one minute here, okay? So, through Isaac, his son, these people become a family. Through Jacob, they could become a clan. In Egypt, they become a population. Through Moses, they become the people of God. They're redeemed and they receive God's law. Through Joshua, they become a nation because they return to the land of Canaan and, and take it over. Through David and Saul and Solomon, they become a kingdom. Through Rehoboam and Jeroboam, they become a divided kingdom. But too many times, they are unfaithful to God because they do not believe. Eventually, God brings the consequences and they go into exile and they become a remnant. And then in returning, they become a rebuilding people. Because they realized that they didn't obey God's law, they said, well, that's what we got wrong. We need to obey God's law. And they have a great zeal for the law. And this, again, plays over a whole period of 2,000 years. But here's my question. Within all that history, how are they blessing the other peoples of the world? Yes, God did bless them who, you know, Bless those who bless them, and he cursed those who cursed them. 
Yes, they did become a great nation at a certain point. They had sovereignty over the land. Abraham's did, his name did become great per se. But how are they a blessing to all the other peoples? Yes, they did have God's law. And some people did decide to follow, you know, that law and convert to, convert to Judaism. But here's the thing. This is the problem with the law. The law is never able to change hearts. The law cannot change hearts. It just shows you what's wrong. This is uh, what Ravi Zacharias, Christian apologist, has said. The law is like a mirror. It tells you that your face is dirty, but you don't wipe your face with it to get clean. You need to go to a faucet. And unfortunately, the common wisdom at the time was, we'll just try harder. Or we'll make more laws to get in the way so we can you know, keep this law. The law reaches way beyond just our physical, behavioral actions. It reaches into the heart attitudes as well. We are called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. And love our neighbor as ourself. Just thinking about that. Are you doing that 100% of the time? If you're not, you're breaking God's law. We cannot keep it. We cannot keep it. Where is the seed that blesses all nations? And this is where we turn the corner. So I don't know if you can see this. But what is this I'm holding in my hand? Go ahead and sort of shout it out to anybody. It's a seed. It's, a, it's actually an almond seed. Okay? What does it look like? Go ahead. Say something. What's that? Say it again, Xander. A dot. It's small, right? It's brown, kind of woody on the outside. You think there's much life in this? What is it, what will it be when it fully grows up and bears fruit? That's what an almond tree looks like. From this to this. See, this is the promise. This is God's delivery on the promise. Here's where I'm going with this. You see, God made a promise that he was going to bless all nations through Abraham. How is he going to do that? How is he going to do that? He was going to do that through God sending his son. Make him an actual blood descendant of Abraham and bringing it to full fruition. It's Jesus. And this is how the Apostle Paul sees this all coming together. Okay? This is an extended passage out of Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18. So bear with me. Also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand that those who have Faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles.
by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it was written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from every day. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises that were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, Scripture scripture does not say to and to seeds, meaning many peoples, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law that was introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Now folks, that's a whole sermon in itself, and I realize that. But here are the main points I want to point out to you. Number one, that Jesus, Jesus is Abraham's seed, as we see in verse 16. He is the one who comes to fulfill and bless all nations. It's not a physical blessing. It is a blessing in order to make God accessible. That Jesus is Abraham's blessing to all the nations, as is verse 8, that they might be justified before a holy God. And in verse 14, he is Abraham's blessing in that it comes through Jesus that the Holy Spirit might be made available. The one who is the heart change agent. The law can't do it. But the Holy Spirit that comes to dwell in us can change the heart. Jesus is that seed. It was hard to see. Had no idea. And even the people that were studying God's word diligently, when Jesus showed up on the scene, it's like, whoa, this blows my mind. If you read Acts, it's, it's tough to com- comprehend. But it's like that little, that little almond. You think, well, what's that going to be? And then you see the flowers of a full-grown almond tree. It's not what we think it is. But this, this is the blessing to the nations. And this is the good news that a missionary can take. Take to people who are separated from God, who have no life in their own abilities. But God wants to give them life. 
This is what God had in mind so long ago when he initially made this promise to Abraham or Abram. You know, and if you go, it's, it's good that you live an exemplary life. I mean, we ought to be people who are living consistently. But if people hang out with you long enough, they're going to see your faults. They're going to see your fumbling. We do not preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ. The one who came and lived the life we could not live. Kept the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. And then paid a price in order that we might be reconciled to God. But paid the price of our sin. And then he rose from the dead and conquered a foe we could not conquer and gives us life in himself. That is good news, people. That is good news. Again, I, I told you, you know, my wife is gone for the week. And she's, you know, having a great time with her sister. But again, it having my wife not be there also makes me realize how selfish I am. What, I got to drive you to work? What? You, have, what? you didn't do the laundry? What? I mean... I, I, I see how sometimes I think that the world revolves around me, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. And that's okay. But my faith is in Jesus and what He's done. And He's changing me, but I don't have to live a perfect life. That's not what God is calling me to. He's calling me to a life of faith and trusting Him. Whether I get it right at times or get it wrong. So let me finish with this, what I call the apprehension of the promise. The apprehension of the promise. Because the apprehension of this promise is it comes by faith. It comes by putting your confidence in what Christ has, what God has done in Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to read a short portion of Romans 4, which actually deals with this whole matter. And I encourage you to read the whole thing maybe later on today. But I'm just going to read the first five verses of that chapter. What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? In fact, Abraham, if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, wages are, let's see, now to the one who works, Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God or believes God, who justifies the wicked, their faith is credited as righteousness. Maybe in a more simple version, it's John 3.16. That God so loved the world, the world that's in rebellion against Him, that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him, puts their faith in what Jesus has done, should not perish, but have everlasting life, and so much more. And I don't know everybody in here, I'm glad you're all here to worship with us, but if you find yourself on this treadmill, where you're trying to build, if you will, a stairway to heaven by your own good works, you're going to have one of two results. You're either, number one, going to be frustrated and go, 
there's no way I can do this. Or you might be self-deceived and think, hey, I'm pretty good. Only to later on crash and break. That's not the gospel. That's not what God intended. Indeed, He has reached down to us that we might be blessed both on, on this side of heaven and the next. And it was His plan all along. Because He sent His Son for us. And we need to take Him at His word and what He's done in sending Jesus. Put our faith in what He has done. All of our eggs in that basket. Not our own our own goodness. We need to believe God in order that it might be credited to us, to you, to me, as righteousness. That is the seed of the gospel, and that is the seed of missions that we take to a world that desperately needs it. Let me pray for us, and then Brian, would you come up and close us with the team? So Lord God, we're, we're grateful that you reached down into this man's life, Abram. He's not a perfect man, but he was a man who believed you. And we want to be his children. In fact, you have made us his children through Jesus because we believe you. And Lord, if there's somebody today who has not put their faith in you, Lord Jesus, who's trusting in themselves, to give them the grace to understand that they have fallen short of your glory. But you haven't. And you bridge that gap. Give them grace to put their faith in you, what you've done, in your life, your death, and your resurrection. And for the rest of us who put our faith in you, God, give us grace to make this good news in our own hearts, help us to preach it to ourselves, and then tell others. But it's across the street across the world. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. The stand is